Welcome to But Why Though, the podcast, a roundtable conversation about all things pop culture with members of the But Why Though writing staff. I'm your host, Alex, and I'm joined this week by Kate. Hello. And Matt. Hello. This week, we are going to talk about the sci-fi genre kind of as a whole, but also specifically whether or not people actually like it. Um, this was Matt's idea, so I will let him explain a little bit more about that later. But first, the news. There's a lot not great in the world, so I wanted to focus on this one thing. I don't know if you guys heard about this, but a 13-year-old who goes by the name Blue Scooty uh, <laughs> is the first person to beat Tetris. He played so He played so deep into the game that it crashed, which has never been done. So beating Tetris, he killed Tetris. Like that, he like killed you Tetris. Have, you must kill Tetris to defeat Tetris. I feel like that's very fitting. The official like version of Tetris that people play is the NES version. And for a long time, I like I read the whole history of this because it was genuinely fascinating. Uh, level 29, people thought that was the end game because at that point, the pieces are falling faster than you can move them to the edge. Um, like if you just hold down the button, it you can't get over it fast enough. Like you have no mobility. And somebody then figured out a slightly different way of holding the controller and playing, um, using like different button mashing techniques that let him get to level thirty. Uh, and that was in 2011. And then people kept pushing it. Um, and then eventually there was this other weird way of using the controller again with like button mashing techniques from arcade games and fighting games. And someone cracked like all the way up to like level 95 or something. And it was like, this is huge. And then someone figured out that the game theoretically could crash because when you, once you hit level 138, the code starts messing up and like the color palettes start degrading and you're like getting pieces that are not colored properly or not colored at all. Um, and at level 155, there are certain things that if they happen, the game will just turn itself off. Like it or not turn itself off. It'll crash. Like it'll just stop functioning. Um, and this kid got to level 157 and then crashed the game. Apparently it takes like 40 minutes to get there. And then you have to be real lucky with the random number generator, you know, trying to push through it. Um, but yeah, this is the first kid to ever play it long enough to crash it. Theoretically, you can play all the way to level 255, at which point the game would reset. But getting there is more or less impossible because... At a certain point, only two pieces can appear without crashing the game. So, like, you would have to have the random number generator only spitting out squares and T-shapes, like, and literally nothing else, or the game would crash. But yeah, some kid, 34 years after it came out, crashed Tetris. That is interesting. Yeah, I feel like that's fitting for Tetris. Right? It's, I, think, I mean, it's an end game that we didn't even know was possible. I, yeah. I think that there is just something so poetic about a child killing the god of the former generations, which was Tetris. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and it, I think it was really cool to see that, like, I, I didn't know the history of it, of, like, how much the community had been, like, rallying around discovering new techniques for playing the game itself. That's really like, cool. Yeah, and it was like, oh, this is, like, you all thought that this was the level. And as soon as one person was like, well, what if you play this way and you realize that you can go further? Everyone was like, oh, we're back in it. Like there's a new limit to reach and we don't know what it is. That's so wholesome. I've just seen people do the speed Tetris, but the way they play with like half their feet or their palm. And is that the weird... one where they like hit like this? It's yeah. Nobody so you hold the controller podcast, like vertically. But... You They like hold the controller vertically. They have a mitten on one hand, like yes. a, like a knit. And they like tap the back of the controller to like knock the buttons into your other fingers. Um, 
it's a whole weird thing. Like I can barely wrap my head around it. Um, but I think it's, the idea is that you put your finger over the direction button you want to press and then you like drum your fingers on the back so that it registers like four hits in the amount of time that you would normally only be able to tap it manually like that, three times. That is yeah. insane, but wholesome. And I just like any piece of news that shows that gamers are good, actually. Right. Like I didn't see anybody like bitter or like mad about it. Everybody was just like, oh, like you did it. Take away from this episode. Kill your gods. Specifically, the blocky ones. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just thought that was really cool. Um, but moving on from that, we want to talk about sci-fi. And Matt, this was an idea that you had pitched to me. So do you want to share a little bit about what you mean by like, do people actually like sci-fi? Because that it's it's written as a hot take. Like the way that you pitched it was like, this is inflammatory. <laughs> so talk to me about this. Okay, so obviously we're in the new year. We've been talking about all the looking back stuff of all the older, uh, older, um, uh, older. I guess it's technically older, older games, but games from last year. Obviously, Starfield. Between all the things have been coming up, we've talked about it before on this podcast a little bit. So we're not going to go too deep in depth into that one. And so the started with basically people keep bringing up when Starfield was released. Um, you know, we had No Man's Sky comparisons because space on space and everything else. And obviously. Starfield's had its ups and downs. I'm not going to act like there's not valid, you know, valid criticism to what's happened in the game. But now we keep seeing everybody keep going BG3, 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 which one ignores a lot of like what actual BG3 hasn't done versus done and stuff of, you know, like we sat in early access for three years. Congratulations. But the big thing when we were talking about this between Kate and I, I was just like, look, we knew when Star, I knew when Starfield was going to come out, we're going to have people who just hate Bethesda because popular we hate cool these days. And then honestly, hate space. And because everybody's like, we want a space game. But traditionally, what we found out, for the most part, most space games, and even a lot of space stuff, really doesn't do well. And then the fact that it went from No Man's Sky to BG3 is a turn of like, cool, guys, you all just want Dungeons and Dragons. You want to dungeon crawl. You want magic. You want elves. So very, very specifically, Matt was standing at my door and was like, was was like why are we still comparing these two things they are not the same this is an apple this is an orange and i was just like hmm. focus on something else and i was just like no they just want fantasy like they don't want sci-fi like that yeah. is just clearly yeah, we, the thing that they want yeah and so we went from there and then we turned into basically from kind of going from there i'm kind of like you know what do people even like sci-fi because i was like every time somebody tells me yeah. they like sci-fi they're like cool I grabbed basically a fantasy movie or adventure, and then we started going through like some sci-fi movies that we enjoy with and kind of the definition, which I guess we'll kind of get into. And we're like, every time we explain this of like what the, I guess the, would be interesting when you read some of the definitions of what happened, people don't like that. Like the, either the movies flop or everything else, or if it has a specific stuff, like it's just not what the average person when we talk to him says more specifically what matt said everybody brings up star wars and he untapped my very i guess a hotter take is that star wars isn't sci-fi which it shouldn't be a hot take it's it's space fantasy it's a space it's, opera it's a yes. space opera it happens in space that is not sci-fi and that that exact moment where i went into that like octave of voice and was ready to give a sermon yeah. that is what happened when matt brought I mean, so that's that's a good point. Like, sci-fi is not just a setting. Sci-fi is a it's a broader thing than that. Um, so, to lay some groundwork, I went digging. 
uh, on Wikipedia, honestly. And there were two quotes that I think summed it up fairly well, not perfectly. Uh, One was from Isaac Asimov, who said, science fiction can be defined as that branch of literature which deals with the reaction of human beings to changes in science and technology. Uh, And then Robert A. Heinlein said that sci-fi was, quote, realistic speculation about possible future events based solidly on adequate knowledge of the real world, past and present, and on a thorough understanding of the nature and significance of the scientific method. And there's other definitions, but those two I thought were an interesting jumping off point because it's like the two things that you need are humans and science. And if you don't have those two things, then it's not sci-fi. Science slash tech. Yeah, science and tech. Um, and so I, the, the one thing I thought was interesting was both of them required, uh, or to some degree seem to imply the requirement of humans being present. Yes. Which also is kind of the point of when we looked at some of those things, people just think pew pew and we want like an involved space and we're fast moving and they forget one or, you know, they see a little bit of futuristic or they see an alien or they see space, you know, to a degree in like sci-fi. And I'm like, not really. It's just kind of, you're choosing yeah. the setting. And so, which kind of was the whole point for me of like, when I think of, um, I guess you talk about the space sci-fi or even like when we talk about Mm -hmm. something, we started going back to the game for me, what I enjoy is the villain, while there are quote unquote villain, but the main villain is space and it's empty and it's nothing. And to be honest, it's probably boring, but it's (laughs) terrifying. And when you remove space, which obviously if anybody's watched Star Wars, uh, space is definitely not the villain. They don't even do science in that movie. They're all, which has been, always been my problem with them since I've been bored of their terrible space or science movies on space. Yeah. Um, and so I was just like looking at some of this and that's when I was just like, oh, well, we don't, you know, like, I don't think we're, yeah. we're, people are missing what they're wanting. They're choosing a setting and a background. Which kind of yeah, good. no, I I think that would make sense, um, and like like we said, like the the setting is not the only thing, um, I now that granted there is a question of like how mundane of a setting can you have and still be sci-fi, and I would argue incredibly mundane because for all mankind is a sci-fi show, and <laughs> that setting is Earth for the most I- part. I read a review. I've been binging For All Mankind this past week, actually. I read a review that said, For All Mankind is not sci-fi. It's a period drama. And I'm like, are you stupid? Yeah, that's a dumb It is an alternate history. Yes. But it is specifically looking at how scientific achievement, if changed Mm -hmm. at one point in time, will then breed scientific advances throughout and how culturally humans specifically americans deal with that in the vacuum of a historical context and yeah uh yeah this is also we're having this conversation because i do not think that people have a pure grasp on what science fiction is they expect it to be fast they expect it to be star wars or whatever the hell Zack snyder tried to do with netflix that like that's that's not sci-fi. Like there are elements yeah. that can be sci-fi that are fast-paced and action-based. Yes, but you have to be engaging with what the genre is. Yeah, and and I think that that's the thing is like I mean, for all mankind is a show where I mean, spoilers, but you know, somebody has an iPod in the '90s and we try to set up a moon base. Like, there nothing about that is a period piece. Yeah. But anyway, so actually going off of that, I dug up some, I, I figured like sci-fi falls into books, movies, shows, and games. So like these are some very quick top fives to give an idea of what at least critics consider good sci-fi. 
Um, and I, all of these are structured. This was like number five to number one. So Rotten Tomatoes for, uh, so Rotten Tomatoes for movies, uh, says Star Wars Episode Four, Metropolis, Blade Runner, Back to the Future, and 2001 A Space Odyssey. Um, Book Riot didn't order their list, but um, it seems to be Frankenstein, Solaris, A Wrinkle in Time, Neuromancer, and Left Hand of Darkness. Games Radar said Bioshock, Mass Effect 2, uh, Deus Ex Human Revolution, Portal 2, and Half-Life 2. Can anybody tell me the difference between the last three? (laughs) Deus Ex is different. Is it? Yeah, that one. Is it? Is it? They're all different. Is it? I, I would side with Kate on that. And then Rolling Stone for shows said The Mandalorian, Doctor Who, Battlestar Galactica, The Twilight Zone, and Star Trek. Um, so what I noticed in there is that for the most part, the being more critical people, more genre where people, they did pick a lot of things that are true sci-fi. Except but for Star Wars. I was going to say, I was like, but there's one thing on here that kind of stands out as not quite sci-fi. Or what? I'm don't people differentiate it as like soft sci-fi? It's space fantasy. It is space fantasy. Oh, I don't, it is I don't not disagree. soft sci-fi. It is space fantasy. Because even so, if you want to take something that is that is a purely otherworldly context set in space, and mm-hmm. you want to have no humans whatsoever, I think that at this point in the genre's history, you do not have to have humans, but you do have to have cultures and peoples whether those peoples are alien or not reacting to science and technology and how it impacts their larger life and skill a lot of the times you will see this with capitalistic takes on environments and everything like that Mm -hmm. that is not star wars star wars is sith jedi boo boo even the mandalorian to a point is still about the sith it's still about the empire it's not about technologies and sciences it, it, it just isn't. It does not count. When you just look at that list, Doctor Who, Battlestar Galactica, The Twilight Zone, and Star Trek, those are all supremely different. And we also got my other Star Wars hot take of most of the political stuff that they do talk about, that people talk about and infure in Star Wars, is all from not the movies. Yeah. It, most of it's the stuff, retconned. it's all either retconned or it's all inferred of like we took a page. But when you actually just sit down and watch the movies, 99% of that stuff is not in there. Or yeah. it's kind of half, half-assed half in there, which is why when people tell me, oh, yeah, like it's so dope. No, it's not. No, it's not. I think that sci-fi as a genre, and, and I love Star Wars. I'm wearing an Ewok shirt right now. I'm actually wearing podcast. a Jedi robe, to be honest. Yeah, like, like we like Star Wars, but it's not sci-fi. And I think that one of the best ways to exemplify the divide for me is actually using Star Trek and Star Wars as kind of parallel pieces. And I know a lot of people often fall in one or the other, because when you look at Star Trek and what Star Trek has done through its history, if you take the next generation, Deep Space Nine, or if you even look at the social, like the social realms that it pushed with the original Shatner version, what Roddenberry was doing with Star Trek was investigating the land of today, the world of today, the culture of today, the fears of today, in the future, seeing how they progressed, seeing how they developed, and what you can do around that. One of my favorite, I have two favorite episodes, like my favorite episode of all time of Next Generation is Who Watches the Watchers, where Picard and the Enterprise are dealing with whether or not they should intervene and stop the creation belief in God. <laughs> like that is something that happens explicitly. One of the best TV episodes of any show ever of all time is in Star Trek D Space Nine when Captain Sisko has to go back to a racist time period in the U.S.'s history and deal with that. Like there is no if, ands, or buts about the content 
or critique being presented in sci-fi. In Star Wars, it is so amorphous and blobby, like we've talked about in our previous episodes about propaganda, where a fascist could look at it and say, oh, yeah, Empire, good. They're just trying to help the world. And I think that that is where you have, like, sci-fi in and of itself is often a very pinpointed critique of a stance of vulnerability or a cultural specificity for the society that it's coming out of. The Twilight Zone. I mean, like, come on. Come on. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So before we start going in here, the one big thing I've noticed with some of the list and what we kind of talked about as we kind of can go away from the list finally here of looking at the the pacing of a lot of these things. Mm-hmm. And for for me, when we look at a lot of the actual sci-fi, which is funny looking at these lists of they're a lot slower paced. They're a lot. Yeah. They're, it's not mm-hmm. just running around. Like, to be fair, 2001 Odyssey, Face Aussie is kind of a boring movie. <laughs> Uh, it is it's a boring boy i mean blade runner to me also is a very slow movie it has its moments but overall it is a very metropolis is also very slow. i'm not i had to look up metropolis because apparently it's a 1920s is beautiful it's a 1927 movie apparently once i saw it like oh i remember i've seen this uh i haven't seen it but like i've heard about it and doing everything because obviously influential but reading it like yeah it's a very slow moving movie twilight zone are very slow episodic shows Star Trek, to be honest, why I probably one thing, it is a very slow moving show. Now, not to say there's not moving, but even Battlestar Galactica sometimes feels like it's not moving, but obviously No, Battlestar Galactica is glacial. But that's the thing. I haven't I haven't watched enough Battlestar Galactica is what I was trying to say, because I just never really got uh, there. Yeah. It's but <laughs> but I think there's some there there. But I mean I think Doctor Who, Battlestar Galactica, and probably you could argue Back to the Future fall in this like middle area compared to like a Star Wars, which we're trying to move faster. But yeah. um, I think looking overall, as we talked about a few other of the movies we mentioned, the funny thing on here that I did want to mention before we get off it was Frankenstein was what Kate and I also talked about of how what Mary Shelley wrote for Frankenstein is not what we see as actual Frankenstein today. And people yeah. actually don't even know what Frankenstein is anymore. Yeah. And so the way that Frankenstein itself has changed, considering it's supposed to be the quote unquote birth of sci-fi. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 that's like I think like the the like using Frankenstein as an example like I did when we when Matt and I talked about this in our kitchen. Mary Shelley's Frankenstein is slow. Incredibly. There's a purposeful interrogation on what it means to play God, who the villain is in this entire situation, and whether or not the monster which is not Frankenstein, is inherently that way or not, and the way that we react to those forces and like that ha- like that tension and ramping up that happens in good sci-fi is there because you need your audience to think about what they're being presented with and interrogated in the same way that the characters are doing it in the story. Now, if you look at the Frankenstein adaptations that we get, they're trying to see how they can make it bigger, faster, louder. I mean, think about like I Frankenstein, that fast bender, that like terrible like take on Frankenstein. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that one. So between what not understanding if Frankenstein is the name of the man or the monster, yeah, they also don't actually understand what makes Frankenstein a story that was able to establish an entire genre and why Mary Shelley even began to write that and interpret it in the way that she did. And I think that the farther we get from 
the creation of sci-fi and the use of it. And I and I use creation loosely because like sci-fi and horror have existed since before Mary Shelley just wasn't written down. But that point and how far we've gone and how far we've splintered off, I think that it has caused a lot of issues when it comes to actually understanding what the genre can do and what genre storytelling can do in general. Yeah, I think that that's kind of one of the things is that sci-fi is a it's a useful setting in that it opens the doors to a lot of things that you can't necessarily do without it, but it being the setting again, does not inherently make it a sci-fi thing. And I think for me, that also raises the question of like, how inherent does the sci-fi element have to be for the story to count as sci-fi? Cause we talked about like star Wars is a space opera. You can tell that story on earth. You can tell that story, you know, wherever. So how do you define it, I guess, is maybe the question. So the funny thing for me is I don't know how much I actually and truly like some of the sci-fi stuff. The truth, I mean, as we're talking about sci-fi things, I think there's a lot of stuff I do like. There's also a lot of stuff I do not like. I like the Twilight Zone. I do not care for Star Trek. I think Blade Runner's fine. It's pretty good. I think Space Odyssey is boring. And so it does happen for me a back and forth. And so I couldn't tell you... At least for me, truly think, I know when I look at what I want from my sci-fi stuff, I will probably choose something more kind of in the setting based, but like kind of meeting what I'm looking for. Like probably that science, or excuse me, that space aspect, because most space sci-fi that I believe sci-fi, which we kind of can, we can get in a second of like some of those movies of like, space is the villain essentially um as i said so I, hmm. what i'm looking for is how we're going about or even science necessarily is the villain per se of like what we're looking for and so i know for me a lot of times i am looking for the probably the setting aspect but particularly even the science aspect of like i think we talked about disaster movies i watch a ton of and so geostorm is more sci-fi uh, than Star, Star it's also Wars terrible, is terrible, terrible, but it's still more sci-fi. Yeah. But it's the very point terrible, being is, but I'm just saying. But yes, I look probably more towards the disaster side of like, is the world we got post-apocalyptic to look back of, or we look at like world's ending, or we're in space or something mm-hmm. like that. So the setting for me does play a part, but also the science of what we're looking for. You like, need I, like a consequence. Yes, and so that is probably where I am because I know there's probably a lot of these famous sci-fi stuff I just probably do not care about. Yeah. That's I don't know, that's a long-winded answer. <laughs> to probably don't know the answer to that. No, but no, but I I do like that, and I the honestly the I mean, granted it was my words, not yours, but the conciseness of there needs to be some sort of a consequence or a paradigm shift or an outcome that we're discussing. That as an element of a good sci-fi world or, or sci-fi work, I think actually that does track maybe more than I thought initially. Like as I said, it of Frankenstein is I made this thing. That's the science part, and then we're going to talk about the consequences. We're going to talk about playing God. We're going to talk about you know right and wrong like all this stuff and it's like oh yeah this is really a a story about about outcomes about what happened after the fact and i so i think for me science fiction is it's a story about people or what is identifiably a people analog and the ways that science and technology shift their context and how they react to it and how they respond i think i'm more kind of like <laughs> like i am with all my genres i watch everything and i enjoy them all to a certain degree and i think for me my, my main thing is that they just have to have a focus on what they're trying to do i think sci-fi has such a wide breadth mary shelley's and hg wells is the original author of the time machine like those are two vastly different takes on science fiction but they're still takes on science fiction and i think when we look at the genre i have an appreciation for things that deal with setting 
So anything set in space where space is terrifying or causing people to come apart at the scenes, Event Horizon, Sunshine, two movies that were not beloved when they came out, but are now hit. Sunshine is great. Sunshine is fantastic. Sunshine is perfection. That cast too, like, oh. And then you have something like Alien, which is, it's a slasher. It is your, it is a slasher, but you are looking at the ramifications of messing with a world to exploit it for resources and having to deal with what happens and comes out of that. I'm glad that you phrased it that way because in this whole time I've been like, does Alien count? Because it's yeah, a monster movie. It's sci-fi. <laughs> but, I, but I forgot about the whole, like, this is your, the reason for space travel is like, resource exploitation so it's like yeah it's definitely well and it's the reason that because the nostromos is like this hunk of junk like space travel isn't something extravagant or beautiful it is just kind of like for all mankind season four right now it is exploitation it is work it is capitalism and how does that impact the new environments that you're going to oh it may kill you that's really cool uh gravity it is slow it is like so you have space i think as a very desolate place and i think it's used Mm -hmm. best when it's shown how terrifying it can be and what happens into it i think that's why dead space is one of my all-time favorite horror games and then you have some of the smaller sci-fis i think primer is is hard sci-fi in that like it has everything mapped out but there's a lot of low sci-fi where it's just introducing one change and one mechanism so there's a korean drama called love alarm where it is, an, they don't tell you how it happens, but it is an app. And once you install the app and you link with somebody, you cannot separate. That is the person that you were meant to be with. And the love alarm always tells you that that person is there or that you're connected to that person. And it is a really interesting concept because that drama very specifically deals with what happens when you have the ability to know who you are supposed to be with for the rest of your life what happens if they die what happens if you don't meet them what happens if your love alarm rings and the other person's doesn't because you also have the ability to opt out entirely so make it so that your love alarm never rings because you don't want to know and you you just want to live your life And so I think that you have like little things like that where like it's not happening in space. It's not action forward at all, Mm -hmm. but it is dealing with a concept and change in technology and how we adapt to it that I think has a very special place. But I think ultimately some of my favorite sci-fi is just genuinely looking at how terrible humans are in whatever iteration of advancement that we have. And how you yeah. ultimately mess it up. But a lot of that is slow. A lot of that has to build. Like you don't fully grasp the situation until you're six episodes in. And I think our anticipation of everything to be moving fast, I think a lot of people have lost the appreciation for true sci-fi that is moving at a glacial place to let things build up. But I guess for me, like talking about the thing, I think the slow part is probably why sci-fi ends up being hit or miss. And I think like we talked about with other stuff, I think there's other things that can move a little faster. Didn't quite think Independence Day, but fine, whatever. I get it. But I do think the overall, when you get to the core stuff, it is a very slow paced thing. And that's why when we asked, kind of came up with here, like, do people actually like this? Because every time somebody mentions something, it says it's very action past, pew, pew, we're moving fast. And I'm like... And then we look at some of these other slow parts. And I don't think critically some of them are all like as bad, like rated as bad. I think we've gotten a little better. But like even looking at this list of stuff like beforehand, 
like the Star Wars Episode One is from like the seventies. The Blade Runner from the seventies. Event Horizon has a thirty-four percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Event Horizon. What? Yeah. No. Like, yeah. And so for me, and I guess the big thing for me when we look at this stuff with the sci-fi, a lot of these things that you're mentioning, Portal, Half-Life Two. How old are those games? You know. Yeah. You know, Doctor Who. How old is Doctor Who? How old is Battlestar? How old is Twilight Zone? Star Trek. You know, at this point, some of these things are 30, 40, 50, 60 years old. And I mean, that's good. And some of them are still. You can be like, oh, they're still going, which is fine. That's more of a more indicative of like what we're trying to do with IPs. But the point being, of a lot of this stuff that we consider really good sci-fi is a lot of older stuff for the most part, and not like what we're seeing now. And when we do look at some of the stuff now, it is this stuff is slow. This stuff is boring. And we don't do things. Like, I don't think sunshine, nobody mm-hmm. watched Sunshine. And now everybody I've ever met that has watched it said this is one of the greatest movies they've ever seen at this point. Even that's only at a 76 on yeah. Rotten Tomatoes. It's fresh, but it deserves way higher than that. Yeah. And so when we look at, and I guess that's where we came with this thing of like, I don't think people like a lot of slower paced things. I mean, the funny thing is a wrinkle in time is on here and I didn't, the movie just looked like a disaster from the get go. So I didn't end up watching it, but apparently that movie is also rated very badly and was apparently a very bad movie that probably had a lot of different issues necessarily. Cause you're adapting a book, but looking at just kind of like the funny thing of just like I said, looking at some of the stuff, this is a lot older quote unquote properties. And I yeah. think of like the newer stuff, I guess, Alex look for, I guess for Keiko, can you think yeah. of a fresh, like, something that came out in the last few years that you think is very hard and good? Because even Primer 2004, Time Oh, Machine like, hard could, sci-fi this yeah, recent? Yeah, that people actually really liked. I think for all mankind, people do like, but trying to sell that to your average person does not work. I have yet to convince anybody to watch it. Yes. Uh, like, I, I have people who have said that it sounds interesting. My wife has listened to me recap it for her, but I don't think I've actually sold anyone on watching it, which is a bummer because it's really good. But like you said, it's like, that glacial pace or that that slow examination and introspection i think is a little bit harder of a sell yeah like there's that whole plot point i think it's in season two sorry season three of is a russian going to get to be first on the moon or on mars or an american and then like what and being like oh yeah like we somehow we would accomplish this much and still be this petty yeah like or even like my favorite sci-fi show silo which is also an apple apple is home to sci-fi y'all also, it's a very, for the most part, slow-moving show, but it's also fantastic. It's very slow, but I have had to sell it by, like, Fallout before the vaults collapsed. That's how I've been selling it to people, because they've all played Fallout, and I can get them engaged. And I, I actually, I, I do question, do you all think that good sci-fi is ultimately kind of hard to explain? Like, if you're trying to sell someone on Blade Runner, how would you sell someone on Blade Runner? Well, nowadays, everybody just says Ryan Gosling or Harrison Ford. So I don't know if that counts. No, like in an actual conceptual state. Like you're going there for the story, not the actor. How would you sell Blade Runner? I genuinely don't know. I don't know. I don't think Blade Runner is as good as what people say it is either. (laughs) The most recent Cronenberg, Crimes of the Future. I can't sell that to anybody. Uh, It's a story where people replace their body parts for beauty and glamour. But it's also not a story about that. I think good sci-fi conceptually makes sense. Like when you see it, you get it, you understand it, and you can talk about the themes. I can talk about how Crimes of the Future is ultimately engaging with themes of beauty, with themes of passion, sensation, and the need to pretend that none of that is happening. Like I can talk about that, but actually putting it into like what is happening in the story is kind of hard. Like I think a lot – I don't know if any of you all watched it, but it's a movie called Love – 
it's like it's this dude who is like alone in a space station and he's orbiting earth and as he orbits he like loses more and more communication with houston and he it is just this man in his little thing and he's just reading a civil war journal i love that movie i've watched that movie the movie is also very very depressing at the end it, it is. is a very fascinating movie there's nothing that happens other than this man reading a journal and is a fantastic movie i don't know if i could i've never been able to convince anybody to watch this movie yeah yeah naturally but it's a phenomenal movie dude is alone in spaceship reads civil war journal <laughs> It's That's not. not a convincing sell. We're getting this new movie coming, ISS, which should be interesting to see yeah. where you're in the thing. I don't know how that's going to end up working, but... That whole premise, I feel like they should have just made up a space station. Because the ISS, it, it's a research station, is it not? Yeah. Like, it's not like a central comms point. Well... Like, the it idea has, that no 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 it, it is a research station it, but it has connections yeah. to literally everybody who has an astronaut on that base. yeah that's what I'm saying that's why I was it like, is an eh. internationally run research space the international space it station is. it's well, not so the... what I was saying more was like what's the benefit of taking control of the ISS during a war so that's because what... it, no no if you if you watch the trailer it is the last remaining satellite. Oh, okay, so that's where they get it. Because yeah, I was like, in my head, I was like, that is the least, like of all the things to be like, kill everyone else on board. Like you're taking, it's like, because, and also it's a question of like, what earth is there even to come back to? Like what motivation do they have to like, even stay alive? Like the whole planet goes up in flames in front of them. That's why you go watch the movie Love. <laughs> also, oh, oh, I do have an answer for a really good sci-fi movie that came out this yeah. year or last year, Biosphere boring like it it is it, it's with mark duplass and sterling Cade brown i have a review up for it on the site it is it is two men in a bunker one of them was president one of them was their chief advisor they've been friends since childhood and they end up repopulating the planet hmm. well they're not repopulating the planet they they get a yeah. step further it deals with science. It deals with like the way your body reacts and evolves in a stress situation. There's radiation. There, like it, it has everything. But all of what I said are also spoilers. And the big thing is like it is just two guys in a dome. So Mark Duplass knows what he's doing. Oh yeah, Mark <laughs> Duplass. Mark, if Mark Duplass is like, I'm gonna make a low budget movie where it's just me and a dude. Or her, him in, like, uh, yeah. Aubrey Plaza, which is also, like... How many safe. times has Mark Duplass done that exact formula of me and one other person? It It's good. It is. And it works every time. Yeah, No Safety Guaranteed, which is basically about time Oh, that's traveling. a great movie. No, mm -hmm. but yes, obviously, I know we kind of detracted. We're just naming movies now, but no. But I think, I think they're good examples. Yeah, because I think they're just very simplistic parts of what we're seeing, which is also the weird part when we get to some of people talk about where we need this convoluted, complicated thing... And a lot of times it's really not. <laughs> yeah. How do you how do you feel about this is going off of safety not guaranteed? How do you feel about things that kind of hide that they're sci-fi for a while? Because safety not guaranteed, you're not sure if you're watching a sci-fi movie for 90% of it. Like you might just be watching a crazy person. <laughs> I think it's fun. I think it's fun. Melancholia is also kind of like that. 
it's yeah, yeah, I personally have no problem with it, but I feel like there are it's definitely something that people could be like, that's dumb, or like, why did they do it that way? Yeah. Or I mean, sort of the not the reverse, but the way that Nope handled flying saucers, where it's like it's not a ship, it is the alien. Like and it's like, oh, yeah. that is not what people maybe wanted. I personally loved it. I thought it was a great creature design, but like I'm sure there are people who are like, what's this? Yeah. No, I, I think that sci-fi is an unrestrained genre similar to horror where it can go a lot of different ways. Uh, like Equilibrium, mm-hmm. Johnny Mnemonic, those are action sci-fi movies. You have disaster movies. You have a whole bunch of different things. You have dramas like Biosphere. Mm-hmm. You, you, you have all of these different weird things that you can go with it, but the important thing is to not lose yourself in it. And I, I do think those lower, like that low sci-fi piece where you're kind of questioning if this is sci-fi throughout the entire thing and then they kind of pull the rug out and you're like, oh crap. I think that when done well is a good use of the genre because ultimately that moment where you realize that is sci-fi is making you reinspect everything that you watched up into that point and understanding how those characters relate back to something. And I think that that is embodying the genre, but I think that if you are somebody, like I do know that there are people out there who are hard, I don't like sci-fi, but they're thinking about aliens and stuff like that. But I think if you if you show them something different, I think those can be gateways. So looking at the question of like, I don't know if people really like actual quote unquote hard try cry. I think we like elements, but I do have a better question of like, from what we've seen from things, do you think people just cannot actually explain the sci-fi to sell it to people, which makes it look like things are either good or bad? Because I can explain to you probably the stuff that has the elements in a good way. I probably couldn't explain to you primer, to be honest. <laughs> I feel like it is, it's yes and no. Part of it is the difficulty of explaining these things that are, I mean, because I think what we're getting to is, and this is going to sound gatekeepy, is that quote unquote true sci-fi is more like thoughtful in an introspective questioning way, or, you know, like asking questions about society on a larger scale. And that is not necessarily the most appealing thing because so much of what we watch, we watch to be entertained, not to be pushed mentally to consider something new. Um, So I think that might be part of why it's a little bit harder to sell it and to explain it of like, here's a movie, it has aliens, but actually it's about grief and how you process your past. I think you're right, Matt, that like, I don't think people want sci-fi. I think people want fantasy and specifically like the European version of high fantasy. Currently, right now, I am in my if it's not Tolkien, I don't want it phase. Um, But like they want that because it's easier to grasp. It's something mm-hmm. established. It's not going to push them in in different ways. And I think, and it's not to knock fantasy. Fantasy has been used to explore totally. complex situations for a very long time, and it will continue to do so. But I don't think fantasy causes you to question the very way you think about being human <laughs> in the yeah. same way as sci-fi does. Because I think sci-fi can gut you when it's done well and it can be loud and big like event horizon and still leave you completely unsettled and uncomfortable or it can be small like primer and still leave you with like a gaping hole like oh or i guess love is probably a better example and i think good sci-fi is when execute like it is done because it executes that premise and and back to like what the definition of sci-fi is how we relate to science and technology. And I think that relationship 
whether it's culturally understanding it or like views of the world or even just like at a mm-hmm. very personal level. I think that like it has to fuck you up a little bit. It has to start like Star Trek. There are many episodes where I was not the same after. <laughs> yeah. No, because I think because it is fantasy does have a lot of their like dealing with the issues and looking at different elves and other stuff and like, you know, that elves versus tieflings or dwarves and everything else. And we have all that and good versus bad and blah, blah, blah structure. But yeah, I don't think it actually hits on a more. I don't know if it's fundamental level would be the correct word, but yeah. at a different level of what we see from like. Just from some of these hard, smaller stuff of just sci fi. Well- I, I think I think you're right, very specifically, because fantasy is, by and large, just the hero's journey, it, yes. which is also why Star Wars is fantasy yeah. and yes. not sci-fi. <laughs> yes. Like, because it is about rallying, it is about defeating a great evil, it is about learning that you can persevere to mm-hmm. defeat that great evil and walk away by ultimately changing. Fantasy, more times than not, deals with the small defeating the big. And I think that that is vital. And like rewatching Lord of the Rings now, like anytime I hear speeches from Sam or Gandalf, I cry because it just hits real different and the ability to like whatever. Uh, but it none of that questions you. Fantasy, I think, reinforces you to do good. Because fantasy is ultimately good versus evil in a very specific way. I think, like Matt said, I think sci-fi is, oh no, am Am I I the evil? (laughs) (laughs) Are we the baddies? (laughs) Tell me if this is a good way of framing it, but there's an element in a lot of sci-fi that I appreciate where um, somewhere in the premise or in the lore or even in like the the film itself, there is um, something new and revolutionary that yeah. gives us a chance to return, not return, but like to, to build a more utopian paradise. Like it's like a chance to go back to Eden and people are like, let's like, we would totally do that. We wouldn't abuse this. We would. And it's like, and sci-fi is like, would you though, would you do the right <laughs> thing? Like, and that, like, that's a thing that I, you know, not that pessimism and realism are inherently like must be bound together, but I appreciate when a movie is just like, yeah, like if we could print food, would we really just print food and give it to people? Yeah. Would we try to sell them the printer and the food cartridges that go with it? Like, Because if you think about it from a game's perspective, because this all did come down to Baldur's Gate 3 versus Starfield. Um, I think some of like my favorite science fiction games, uh, Dead Space is looking at what happened when people found God again, kind of. Um, and-, <laughs> and Bioshock is exactly what you're saying. People built a utopia and then it did not go that way and you must deal with the consequences and mass effect i think mass effect is probably the one game about space that i think has been critically acclaimed fan loved but that game makes you decide whether or not you're going to do a genocide like that like it pushes you morally. And the reason that Bioware takes the space that it does when it comes to narratives is because of how many things it throws at you yeah. to navigate and understand and the consequences of losing people in your party because of those choices. I mean, going off of this, do you think that people actually like sci-fi? And if, if you don't, what do you think it is that they are responding to and enjoying? I, I, I'm i going to go first here. I think that people don't like things that make them uncomfortable or think too much. I think when you look at this in the space of games, 
to use Starfield as an example, since Ma- since it is very different than Mass Effect, which is more linear in its storytelling, even when there are a lot large scale choices involved. Um, you Starfield, I think for me, and I I have not played this, but mm-hmm. I've 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 listened to Matt talk about. It, I've listened to multiple people talk about. It, and obviously, like Matt, I, I I've I know what goes on in it. I think that there is a level of being comfortable with solitude in Mm. pure hard sci-fi things that I don't think some people are okay with and I don't think that they like that feeling of either seeing the loneliness and solitude or having to play through it like in a video game and I do think that there are some elements of harder sci-fi especially in space where I just don't think people like the uncomfortable feeling that it that it that it elicits in them. I think a lot of people wouldn't like love as a movie, not necessarily because it is just boring, because I don't think people want to be left alone with themselves. I don't want to be left alone with myself, but I am intrigued with the way that those movies riddle my anxieties of being left alone. So, but I, I think that there is a level of being uncomfortable hmm. with good sci-fi that I think makes it hard for people to be okay with watching it or choose that over something comfortable like fantasy. I think fantasy is an extremely comfortable genre. I think action, to a point, is also a very comfortable genre. But I think sci-fi more makes me think of comedy and horror. And the reason that is, is like a lot of people say they don't like horror because they don't like the way it makes them feel. And a lot of times they're thinking about like the schlock scare stuff and they just don't like being scared. But I also think they like a lot of really good horror for decades now have been focused on making you supremely uncomfortable with something about yourself and seeing it in something that is horrendous. And I think that some people don't like that. I think in comedy, I think a lot of people don't like that they laugh at certain things. And they're like, oh, no, why am I laughing at this? (laughs) And Mm -hmm. I, I think, especially dark comedies, and and I think that because these genres make you uncomfortable and thrive when they make you uncomfortable and gutting you a little bit, yes, even comedies, I think that that is why people will not choose them over safe ones. Hmm. I mean, to be fair, you can probably just a clear we want a distinction, whether it's a hero journey in fantasy or an action journey or do whatever. And those are yeah. very good. But mm-hmm. then they, they want it good. They want a bad. And they want to make sure that the good be bad. They want the it bad. clear. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I think when those things start muddling together, I don't think it matters. I don't think like Starfield necessarily does science fiction or whatever. Great. It was just kind of the example part of what we got in here. But I think when it comes to like what we're looking at, to Kate's point of like, I think being alone, I think they want like stuff popping out. And I think why I think space in particular fails in a lot of time for people caring because space is a very boring thing. There is nothing out there. It is a vacuum. There is not even sound. And so like for me, that is fascinating. And like this slow burn of like, on a space voyage it's space why do they put you in a sleep pod do you know why because you're not doing anything and it's so big and there's nothing there and so for me like the fact that space is a villain you know for the most part or even just the dangerous thing there makes it interesting i think personally going back to one of the things i think they failed to do was Mm -hmm. give the dangers of space which you can tell they kind of dumbed down for better or worse um stuff but like the big critique would be like, I'm bored in Starfield or I'm bored in some of these other games doing that because in the day space is boring. We haven't found quote unquote extraterrestrial life. 
And so mm-hmm. when people are like, oh, we could just fill these planets with all these lives and do all this stuff, I'm like, so you just want them to make a fantasy solar system, right? Because that's just, we're going back to fantasy. But no, space is rocks. I'm probably part of that 1% that have the achievement that I've collected over 500 rocks because I can hop on down a planet and stare at rocks and collect rocks or collect sticks. In a game or in life? Both. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> but no, even when we played like Avatar, like we went to the planet, I just collected things because one, I mean, I spent 10 years of my life just collecting plants. And so fascinating, but looking like, looking at the different variety of rock, looking at plants, suspect, you know, the same you know, obviously, but people like we want to fight. Like I spent tips on like dungeon crawling. You can say you can do that mm-hmm. in space, but you're not. Their pirates aren't hanging out in a dun- in a in a crater yeah. on a planet. You know, and like I said, there are points of interest. The game could have done better, blah blah. But the point is, for what you're looking at in space, it is desolate. The environment is what kills you. There's nothing out there. Like it's funny. I was looking before we got even on here, like because I obviously follow and keep track of all the Mars stuff. You just look out there, and there's nothing. It's just nothing. Well, it's funny. I was going to say, uh, thinking about No Man's Sky, the only time I ever saw other people was when we went to the hub. I don't think for the hundreds of yeah. hours we have in that game, I ever saw another another well, player it's funny because that wasn't this was in a my party. Part of the marketing was like, oh, you'll be able to go to planets and run into other people. Yeah, that was And good. your experience is what pretty much everyone I've talked to about well, that game is. And said. it doesn't make it bad, but like that is like, well, I only saw people in a hub. Well, funny That's because we vastness. say that of like a lot of the people probably that I know that definitely play my Starfield did not actually play No Man's Sky. Because I personally think also No Man's Sky ends up falling into the boring part of ways. Mm-hmm. Because what intrigues No Man's Sky a lot of times when we see people still playing, which I could be wrong and not speak for everybody, but we're building like Minecraft. We're building just yeah. castles and we're building stuff like, and obviously I think exploration's good for a while, but after a while you realize there are four different colored planets, the animals all look the same, the gases are the thing, we do much. It's not really much, especially when you get thing, it's not a dangerous thing, you're not seeing other people, you're not mm-hmm. seeing anything else. And so some of that, and after about like a hundred planets, you do lose that whole like texture of like what we're looking at. Um, and so I think that part of why space games and or particular some space genre stuff, just people do not like it much. I think they want like the space fantasy type things, but overall it is boring. It is lonely. It is desolate. And it's trying to kill you at all times. And if you're not buying the whole space and trying to kill you at all times, then it's just like, cool, I'm just walking in a desert. And people don't want to walk in a desert. Like, if you do take, like, Sunshine as an example, space is the villain in that because everything goes wrong because people lose their minds. Like, that that, that is what happens. Um, I think about, I forget what show it was. I think it was Mars, but like somebody gets people killed because they just can't yes. cut Bean in on Mars anymore. And so he just walks out and just opens it without depressurizing and like oh, yeah. kills himself, but also like jeopardizes Doesn't, everything. Isn't that in season one of uh, For All Mankind 2? Someone tries to. No, like yeah, they stop so no, no, no. him, but he tries to just he, like go outside and open his helmet. Yeah, yeah, he's already outside, and he starts hallucinating because he's he's suffering from being alone and not understanding. He thinks there's ants on his thing, and he tries to pull off his helmet, and they save him. But yeah, like the, those things is like I think a lot of the sci-fi is like how space sci-fi is like mm-hmm. the human is always going to be the trigger for space, but space is still the one making this happen. The loneliness yeah. is making it happen. Which is what I think we miss when you translate that to games. At no point yeah. in the game are you going to lose your mind to rip off the 
the, your helmet. You're not going to lose your mind to open the door because you thought it was your opening your, to walk out onto a porch. You do not have that aspect in the game. So have then you it just played makes Alien Isolation? Because <laughs> <laughs> that game pushes you. <laughs> right, but it, then it leads to like, this is just boring because you do not have those quote-unquote psychological totally. factors in here. Because But when you're watching a show, you can see that. But in the day, that is still just a... The whole way when she's referencing Mars, that is like six episodes or however many episodes of a buildup that you slowly see happening over time before mm-hmm. they finally cracks. I mean, even like she said, sunshine, it slowly build up to people start cracking and you cannot replicate that in other media or I guess, you know, types of forms of media, particularly I think games when it comes to that. It's watching people break. And I think every sci-fi is like that at some point. Mary Shelley's Frankenstein is watching people break, mm-hmm. reading people break. Uh, like it, it's it's defining, it's crossing that boundary. Um, yeah. So yeah. do you guys actually like sci-fi? Yes. <laughs> I'm realizing that I may actually have an appreciation for sci-fi more than other genres. Um, I, I, I'm a genre person. I love action. I love comedies. I love horror. But I think like now that I'm actually unpacking of the beauty of sci-fi, I do think the beauty of sci-fi is how it's able to break you in the same way that I love horror. So I think those two are probably like mm-hmm. some of like when it comes to storytelling, some of my favorites. Visually, action takes the cake. But yeah. those two, I think. Um, I think that there's just something nice about something making you leave it and question who you are as a person yeah i well and i like both sci-fi and horror for the fact that they explore themes and questions that we don't really discuss necessarily as much in other places um or that it's harder to find like thoughtful critiques like it it doesn't gloss over stuff necessarily and that's something that i appreciate but yeah to answer my own question i do like sci-fi very much I think I'm still a yes, but also I think I have a particular what I'm looking for and stuff. Like I think Geostorm. Some... No, I hate Geostorm. That's terrible. <laughs> I told Kate it was gonna be terrible. Look, I love B-rated disaster movies. I knew A-rated after uh, A-budget um, disaster movies are always terrible, and also they always yep. make it like by some corruption because they're so brain dead. Because it always has to be some bad guy, and not just the fact that the world is trying to kill you. Um, which I think even happens in Moonfall, if I remember correctly. <laughs> really? I think that's the end. I can't remember. I thought I that think... was just a movie about the moon falling out of the sky. I I do think that sci-fi probably more than the other ones. I think they all have subgenres, but I think that sci-fi. I think actually I think sci-fi and horror both have the. I like this particular brand of thing Um, because I think the other ones are kind of pretty large. Um, But I think that there are like cross sections and subgenres within both horror and sci-fi. Like Matt said, we're like, you know, the one that you vibe with. That I think does it for this week. But before we go, do you guys have any articles you want to plug or media to recommend? Uh, Yeah, I reviewed the brother's son uh for for us obviously but why though.net you can read it up there i think it is a stellar action action series the action's extremely well directed and the way that it deals with the tropes of a gangster story uh is are really refreshing it has michelle yo 
as mama son and she deals with her two mm-hmm. sons one was kept into the triad life the other was sequestered in the united states and kind of kept from everything and you have to watch them figure out their family drama like hey mom why did you sacrifice your oldest son and make me go through all the pain of killing people uh when the baby hmm. got to just sit at home and be nice and then also like the place of women in that society and ultimately whether or not Michelle Yeoh wants to be in the triad uh, or wants to be out of it. And I think that it, it does a lot of really cool things. I gave it a really high rating uh, for the action and the storytelling. Uh, I think everybody should watch that. Cool. Matt? Um, I made put together a list of some lot of games you can play for a lot of hours. Is it on, on But Why, though? Yes. Nice. So go check that out. Yeah. Um, my recommendation, and I know Kate shares this, is go watch For All Mankind, especially if you have not started. There's four seasons at this point, and it literally, it's just, what if we lost the space race and it turned into a pissing contest? Like, that's that's the premise. It's and it's so, so good. good. Well, I think the funny um, thing, tangent, but explaining the space race to people is also very hard. Yeah. I love how we just gave up on science when we won. Yeah. No. And this is like, this is the opposite of that. This is what if we just lost and got so angry that we never stopped. And also the pissing contest involves who gives rights to marginalized citizens in their countries first to go and be involved in space. Yeah. Which was a wild revelation. But yeah, but it's it's just such a good show. Um, gave me it gave me an appreciation for, uh, like a kind of a renewed appreciation for very grounded sci-fi. Um, because like yes, they go to Mars, but like it's everything is very. I I feel like everything's very grounded. Um, but yeah. So, um, thank you for those recommendations. And again, check out for all mankind. Um, if you guys liked what you heard here and you want more, we're basically everywhere. So Twitter, Instagram youtube twitch um patreon you can uh kick us a few bucks and that helps us keep things going keep uh, keeps us making the content that you like getting the reviews out that you want to read um supports the site and um yeah just we would love to hear from you on any of those platforms love to see you on patreon um and on discord uh you can find me on twitter at most always alex and kate and matt where can people find you you can find me on twitter at oh my Mithrandir. and matt go watch primer man That's-